0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, just a quick note before this episode gets started. Um, we actually recorded this on Tuesday night before the news dropped that the Kansas and Texas game had been postponed to December twelfth. So I, I was debating whether or not to release this episode, but I still think the information about Texas is good. Um, a lot of this stuff is still topical. We do talk a little bit about what Texas has coming up. We'll do probably do some sort of update to this the week of the actual texas game whether that will be with gerald or i'll find another texas guest i'm not really sure yet at this point um but i wanted to bring this guys to you still one because it was such a fun episode to actually put together i, I enjoy talking with gerald all the time um and two because again i think there's a lot of really good information in here um especially for someone who cares more about the the conference as a whole instead of just ku so uh off to the episode. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitts. Today, we are previewing the Kansas-Texas game that I have been eagerly anticipating since the end of last season. Um, To help me do that, I have, coming back to the podcast, Gerald Goodridge from Burn Orange Nation. Gerald, how are you doing today? I am doing all right, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, a lot of people, or those that haven't been listening to the podcast, probably are wondering what the hell I'm talking about why I've been looking forward to this game so much but I have been calling this now for nine months or so that I do think that Kansas is going to actually upset Texas in this game and despite the fact that the evidence keeps pointing further and further away from that actually being a real possibility I am digging my heels in and still calling for that so that that's going to kind of tinge our uh, preview here a little bit but Before we get into the actual game itself, I do want to get your thoughts on Texas as a whole this year, because it's been an up and down season for them. You know, this was supposed to be the year with with Sam Ellinger in in his senior season, you know, kind of after what happened last year, the expectation was that the defense would take a step forward, even though they're replacing both the offensive and defensive coordinators, like this was supposed to be the year that they compete for the Big 12 title. And, you know, they have to win out from this point and hope for some help, it seems like. For that to actually be a possibility to get to the Big 12 Championship game, um, so overall, what what are the general thoughts of the Texas fan base on this team? And is there is there any concern if you're a Tom Herman fan that he might be in trouble this year if they don't make it to the Big 12 Championship?
1: Uh, there there is a lot of there's a lot of um, of divided thoughts. And before before I jump into that, I do want to say the last election year was the last time that. Kansas beat Texas. So there's like a trend yes. here. It was a, Nove- it was a November game. Sam Ellinger was a senior in high school, not not college, but he was a senior. There's a lot of similarities between that 2016 night that that cost Charlie Strong his job. No. Um, but I think there there are two halves of the Texas fan base. And I think there's I think you're right that this was supposed to be the year, and, and I think even like when you look at how the schedule is constructed, like I think the Big Twelve thought this was the year, and you know you could say what you want, but I really think the Big Twelve like needs and wants Texas to compete at a national level, um, and so they like the, the Big Twelve refs do well. Fair, I, I, you know, I, the officiating's just been so bad this year, like all around, and and as a so a team that's been benefiting from it in the last few weeks, I can't. I'm not mad about it. I I can understand because Texas has been on the receiving end of some of those in the past. I remember the the Gary Patterson, the, the TCU, Charlie Strong, like ref chest bump to to Charlie Strong that got it was just a whole thing, right? But no. Um so the 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 seat is warm under Tom Herman. And and even like you look at like this this week's um like kickoff press conference, and you know, they do the Monday press conference, Texas is on a three-game winning streak. They're heading into the final three games of this season. And there were two questions in this press conference that were about like coaching rumors on message boards and the fact that the athletic director didn't tweet congratulatory things to the football team after the last game. Like it's that kind of stuff. Um, And it it seems like that's the narrative that people want to push. Like it's super, it's, it's just, it's, it's weird in my book. And here's the thing: at the beginning of the year, that Tom Herman said that their their goal is to compete for championships, right? Our goal is to compete for championships, and if Texas can, Texas is in its position where essentially, if they win out, they they'll. They need like a, a tiny bit of help, but really every team that they they need to beat the last two teams they need to beat are really on their schedule. So like if they can win against Iowa State and they can win against Kansas State and they can win against Kansas, like they're essentially a shoe in for the Big Twelve championship game. Now I don't know if if they're going to win that game, but competing for championships, they win three games and they have that opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually kind of funny because even if they win out at this point, I believe the tiebreaker scenarios are enough that it's at least not guaranteed that they would make it. Because if, if Oklahoma wins out, you know, and Iowa State only loses to Texas, um, then they end up in that weird three-way tie, <laughs> which, you know, it depends on who ends up being the, t- the, the fourth team. So, like, it, you could easily have all kinds of issues in terms of all those tiebreakers and everything. Um, it's, it's probably as messy of a Big 12 title race as we've ever seen not only because, you know, Oklahoma's not up at the top, like guaranteed to be the, the the one team that makes it through, but also just the fact that, like, legitimately you could see five teams tie for those two spots, and then there's just a whole mess of tiebreakers to try to figure out who actually gets to do it. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is, you know, only, only at Texas could, after a three-game winning streak, the story be, is Tom Herman still on the hot seat? Um, you know, it's just, it's really weird. Um, you know, it's it's fun at times for those that are used to Oklahoma and Texas kind of running the conference, it's, it's fun to see some dysfunction in some of those two teams. And we, we thought we were going to have it in spades and get neither of those teams in the big Twelve championship. And now we're right back where we usually are, where it seems like uh, Oklahoma and Texas are like two of the better teams that have been performing the most consistently over the last few weeks. The only question about that is, you know, how much of that is based off of schedule at this point, because, you know, Texas benefited from, playing some of the teams that really either aren't that great in general, or they match up really well against, because, you know, West Virginia, the, the team that they just beat um, their biggest problem on defense is going up against running quarterbacks of which Sam Ellinger is probably the best in the entire conference. Um, if not the nation. Um, so let, let's actually jump there to this Texas offense. Cause I think that was kind of the big question last year. You know, they had so many problems with running back injuries that they had to convert a quarterback to be their full-time running back. And he, kind of took off for them. I, I believe that he is their second leading rusher right now. Um, But Sam Ellinger is like the far and away, the best rusher that they have so far this year, which probably isn't the situation you want to find yourself in when your quarterback is taking a bunch of hits because he's running the ball.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, I've said it in, in our preview podcast for a while. Like it's a, it's a, it's an abject failure for, for Texas. If, if Sam Ellinger is your leading rusher and so he leads it by like 40 yards and I don't think that trend will hold up. Um, So Roshan, the guy that you mentioned, the, the, the thing that that Texas has really been trying to do this year is play three headed monster at running back Um, where they've got, they've got, three guys that would start on a lot of teams in the conference where they've got uh, Keontae Ingram who's who's banged up a little bit uh, they've got Roshan Johnson the guy you mentioned and then um, five star all world running back from from Arizona Bijan Robinson who came in and they really like they've actually achieved what they tried to do to keep the, the carries even between the three of them It's like 51, 53 and 52 going down the list uh, which is which is uh, crazy and so uh, Bijan actually had a, had a big game. Uh, in the last game against West Virginia and put up, I think, 115 yards. Um, so he jumped up to second in, on the team in rushing. Uh, so he's, he's had a good run of it. And I think Texas is going to continue to feed the hot hand there, at least if they know what the, the heck is good for him. Um, Keontae is still probably banged up and likely won't be back. So you'll see a lot of, of Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson in this game. Um, and I think Bijan is a guy that they're going to want to uh, feature as much as they can late in the season.
0: Yeah, it it just makes me wonder because, you know, they they try to kind of split the carries. But are those running backs different enough that you're actually getting different looks that kind of help set them up? Or is it a kind of situation where like Kansas had before Puka Williams opted out where their two running backs that were really getting time were basically the same guy? And so you really only had to game plan for one kind of thing. Like it it, it definitely is much more successful if you're going to rotate running backs, if you've got three guys with three different styles that bring different things to the offense and require the defense to kind of plan for all of them. Um, You know, otherwise you're kind of splitting carries and just not allowing a guy to really get into a groove, which is really important for the running back position. Um, So like how, how different are their running styles and how does that really either help or hurt the offense for them to all be splitting carries?
1: Yeah. So, so Roshan is kind of a one cut and go kind of kid. He's, he's, and through through virtue of his, this being his second year ever playing the position, and also I think just his his body type and his style, he's like a six two. Two twenty-five, two thirty, kind of guy. So he's pretty thick. So he'll make a cut. He'll put his he'll put his face in the hole and kind of he he among any of the running backs is is the likeliest to like put his face in a pile of people and just push it three yards to get the three yards that you need. Um, Bijan is kind of is a shifty in space kind of guy. You saw him, um, you know the opening the opening run. It was like a fifty-four yard run against um, West Virginia, where he kind of found a seam, made himself small, made a cut, and then. You know he he was he he's a four, he's a four five like four, four, five, four, five guy. Um, so he he doesn't have like the top end breakaway speed that some would like to see, but um, he he's as shifty. I don't, he's not as nowhere near as fast as a guy like Jamal Charles, but I haven't seen somebody make people miss in space like that since Jamal Charles was on campus. Now Jamal Charles was a was a ncaa level track guy i think you ran like a 438 in high school so like um there's you're, you're gonna find very few running backs with that level of speed but i think as far as a shiftiness as far as an escapability kind of guy like that's that's what you get from Bijan in space
0: okay so i mean i don't know that there's much more to say about the offense because i mean sam ellinger is kind of doing what he's done there you know kind of finding weapons but really kind of taking it on himself to really do whatever it is that they need and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't (laughs) you know that's kind of the curse of the quarterback trying to do everything on his own um well actually one more question about the offense like you know they have a new offensive coordinator have you really seen a change to what this offense is doing this year because i i I, you know to be honest looking at it from the outside i don't know that i'm really seeing that much different it seems like sam ellinger is kind of what makes this offense go
1: so yes and no. So there are spots where you can tell that that Mike Yersich has added things to the offense. There are some triple option looks, some RPO looks that weren't there a year ago. So very clearly, there are some additions to the playbook. But I think with the weird offseason, they haven't like completely turned the playbook over because you do see a lot of looks that that were still there a year ago. The zone read looks the same types of RPOs. Um but there there are definitely looks like you'll probably see a couple of occasions there on on Saturday where they're gonna run kind of a a a triple option where they they check the option in the middle and then Ellinger goes speed option left or right with a with a running back kind of trailing him, so you'll probably see that uh on Saturday, and that's a look that they haven't seen before, so it's not as much and not as drastic as you would have expected or gotten I think if you got a full off season because installing an offense like Mike Gersuch wants to run is really hard in, in a in a in a truncated fall period, right? Where you've simply got you've got to get ready for a game week one. And so you've got minimal time to install it. And and that, that I think that's what you what you're seeing.
0: Yeah. I mean I, I think that Kansas is probably one of the teams that was most affected by COVID because they were relying on you know, offensive line work during the spring practices and all of that stuff. But Texas is another one of those up there because of how much turnover they had on that coaching staff specifically. All right. I do want to turn to the defense, but before we do that, I am going to go ahead and throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. And we're back. All right. So turning over to the defense, you know, again, new defensive coordinator there. um, But really, I think actually what I'm what I'm most curious about is because you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at this defense and it was supposed to be much improved with uh, Greg Shiano is, is the new defensive coordinator. Correct. Did I get that Chris right? Ashe. Chris Ash. Oh, why am I saying? Okay. Because R- they were both Rutgers yes, head coaches. Rutgers. That's why I made, I was like, wait a minute, that sounded wrong when I said it. And then I'm like, wait a minute, but it was Rutgers. Yeah. Okay. So, so Chris Ash was expected to kind of really change this defense. Um, You know, again, kind of looking from the outside, I'm wondering how much he's been able to do. And is it a similar sort of situation? Because you know Texas is still giving up a lot of points to the offenses that you would think are good and the uh, and the offenses that from all indications aren't very good they're actually stopping but it doesn't really seem like this defense is is markedly better than it was last year so w- what's different from this defense where have you seen improvements and where are you expecting this defense to be able to step up
1: yeah so i think when you look at like the the tech game or the OU game, you have to take into account like overtimes in that. So like against OU, Texas turned turned OU over three times and a half and gave up thirty one points in regulation. Which against uh, any any other year against a Lincoln Riley team of like you, wait you turn them over three times and held them to thirty points in, in regulation, you should probably win that game, right? So like that average is floated a little bit by overtime. Same thing goes for tech. Um, I don't know what what on God's green earth happened against TCU. I'm still pissed about that game. Um, But really over the last three games, it seems like the defense has has turned a corner. Um, They have Chris Ash has really shown that he is he's kind of a he's he's a guy who wins with with his his pregame scheming where against Oklahoma State, um, Chuba Hubbard had one of his worst games of the season, like the Oklahoma State running game did not get anything going against against. Texas and that was that was the calling card because they were they basically said we're gonna we're gonna force Spencer Rattler to win this thing with his arm he had a linebacker shadowing him basically the whole game and so they they Spencer Rattler threw for 400 yards but they didn't they didn't put it in the end zone enough.
0: And- Spencer and- Sanders, but yes. <laughs> oh,
1: gosh. That, <laughs> I, that, I do that all you're the time. You're the only one. <laughs> Everybody yeah, does it. Why do both one. Oklahoma teams have a quarterback named Spencer? Yeah, today? exactly. Um, so, so, so I mean, I, I
0: guess kind of to 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 jump on the point, though, because you, you said that they've been a lot better in the last few weeks. You know, Spencer Sanders has shown in his short time at Oklahoma State that when he starts pressing, he does not take care of the ball very well. Um, and so the fact that they were able to shut down Hubbard by, like, selling out on mm-hmm. Hubbard. I think really kind of opened up the possibility of, of Sanders to really shoot that Oklahoma state offense in the foot, which you have to give him credit for that. But for the most part, like Oklahoma state's been having offensive problems all year long. West Virginia's offense has, you know, been pretty bad. Their defense has really floated them and Baylor's Baylor. So, I mean, like, yes, it, it's definitely looked a lot better in the last three weeks. I guess my real question is, and, you know, specifically kind of thinking ahead to that Iowa state game, um, you know, it, against teams that have proven offenses, what is Texas doing differently that makes you think that the results are going to be different this year than they were last year?
1: Well, they have an extra, they have an extra pass rusher, and they've got um, a guy who I would argue is going, it will end the year as one of the top three pass rushers in the conference in Joseph Osai, who team, teams are going to scheme against him and really um, open up things. And so you, with, with the additional meat on the, on the front line, they have been able to create mismatches and ways to get Joseph Osai in space where you've got a a 300-plus defensive tackle in Keandre Coburn who occupies two blockers. You've got Trevandre Sweat. You've got Moro Ojomo. These guys are guys that occupy multiple blockers, and it creates space for a guy like Joseph Osai. And and as good as an offensive lineman is, none of them are going to win one-on-one against Joseph Osai. Like there are very few linemen in the country that would win one on one against that guy, and so getting him to create space getting him in space allowing him to bend the corner, bend the edge um, and just win one on one matchups by being a freaky athlete uh, that he he has if you counted all of the Times where he got to a quarterback and the ball was moving forward when he slapped it out of his hands, he'd probably have four or five forced fumbles this year. So he's been like a, a breath away from, from really having a ridiculous statistical season. There are still questions in the secondary. Um, you know, the safeties have struggled a bit this year. There's a lot of questions about whether Caden Stern's body is still up to the task. He's just really struggled with injuries the last two seasons. And so he's he's really had some issues there. Um, but I think the, the big thing for me is that. The linebackers under, under new linebacker coach Coleman Hustler ha, has, have made a turn where, where early in the season, like, Jawan Mitchell was a flat liability in pass coverage, and that dude has not, not missed an assignment in the last three weeks. And uh, DeMarvian Overshone, who's a converted five-star safety, he's, been, he's only been playing linebacker since August, um, looks like one of the best, most athletic linebackers the team has, and those guys have turned a corner. I think that's really where the difference is.
0: Yeah, I think you jumped ahead to my next question, which is going to be like, where is the weakness for this defense? It sounds like it's that secondary. Um, you know, have they been able, though, to consistently get pressure to keep teams from trying to really challenge that secondary? Or is that something where if you can double team side, the rest of the of the defensive line isn't really getting consistent pressure on their own to to really kind of force the issue and make quick throws?
1: Yeah, so so Osai leads the team. He's got like 13. 13- I think 13 and a half, maybe tackles for loss. Um, the next guy up is, is Taequann Graham, who is um, who's kind of that, that shaded three and he's got seven deal over shown that the outside linebacker spot has like six ish. Again, I'm trying to quote these off the top of my head. Um, so there are other guys I can get to the quarterback, I think, but if you have to, if you have to scheme your, your, your pass protection to one player, then it's, it's going to open up something so, somewhere else. And I think if you're double teaming Joseph Osai then the rest of these three, like if you, if you one-on-one Keandre Coburn with your center, he's going to pick that guy up and put him on his backside. He's just going to be bigger than every center that, that he's going to face. And so it's a pick your poison at, at some point with that offensive line. And, and nobody's really figured it out this year.
0: Yeah. I guess I'm kind of grasping at straws here. I'm trying to figure out how Kansas is going to, you know, back me up here and, and actually get some, <laughs> you know, push against this defensive line. But um you know, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, what about, what about uh, going vertically? Like have, have teams found success trying to, you know, go down the line and really kind of get out to the, to the sidelines quickly, or do they, are, are you know, are, are the linebackers and corners really cleaning that up?
1: I think Tylan Wallace is still like going vertical against Texas. Like that was, that was the, when you look at what Texas did defensively, I think Tyron Wallace had like 150 receiving yards. It's absolutely nuts. Like the guy, the guy put up a career day against Texas. So, um. You know, you, you put him you put a guy like that, you put a talented receiver in one-on-one coverage, and it's always gonna be a crapshoot with this sec if 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 the senior leaders in the secondary are on their game and kind of mentally all there, then it's gonna be good. But if you got a guy like Chris Brown, who he talked about it today, he like flexes after every play he made and like Texas was losing the game and like he gave up a touchdown and flexed. And I'm like, What are you like, what are you doing? Um, so like when those guys are not um, when those guys are not dialed in, it's It could, it could turn out poorly.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be honest. That's like the embodiment of what everybody else thinks about Texas, where they're like flexing, even though things are like falling apart around them. So, um, yeah, you know, he, he seemed like the perfect player for a Texas Longhorn squad that everybody loves to hate. So
1: <laughs> it's easy. It's really easy. And you gotta, he's got he has C on his Jersey. He's a captain. So I'm like, dude, like get your life in order. Like, what are you doing?
0: Oh my gosh. That, that is awesome. All right. So um, any other general thoughts though, about this defense? Like what can Kansas look to try to do to attack this defense in this game coming up?
1: So teams, the, when teams have found success against the Texas defense, it has been like under like just nickel and diming. Like that's what a lot of what Texas tech did early in that game was just, we're going to pick up three yards here, four yards here on an RPO slant, right? Well, well, the quarterback will, will pull the ball, You'll have a a player running kind of an underneath route, and we'll pick up four yards. And I don't know if you know this, but four yards three times is a first down. So like that's that's what that's what they did, and that's how teams have found success. Um, Basic it, it math. really right? <laughs> I, I am I have a journalism degree, so math is not my strong suit. See, uh, but see, I think I'm right. I, on I have that
0: a one. math degree, and, and but yeah, yeah, even then, like I, I don't think it takes a math degree to be able to pick that one up. So you'd be surprised at the things I have fumbled (laughs) mathematically,
1: but no. So I think that like when, when teams have been able to find space underneath the linebackers, that's really where they, they've found success. Um, Again, that was, it took, I think it took an otherworldly late performance from Spencer Rattler doing that in, in the overtime period against Texas. And then again, um, you know, getting, getting Texas's linebackers out of position. That's what, when you look back at the TCU game, they, the play that won, it was, was like a Max Duggan design draw where they kind of ran both of the linebackers off via motion. And so they had basically the entire middle of the field and Duggan took advantage of it. And so that, that to me is like, if you can get Texas spread out enough where you just have a sheer numbers advantage, you're going you're gonna to win that matchup.
0: Yeah, and, and and I'm wondering, I mean, I I guess we're kind of drifting towards the actual game itself and we'll 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 definitely kind of break that down a little bit more as well. But I'm wondering how successful Kansas is gonna be with that. A lot of it's gonna depend on who all is on the do not dress list. Cause I don't think they've had the full complement of wide receivers actually dress out for a game all year long. You know, I mean they have Andrew Parchment, uh Stephon Robinson, Kwame Lasseter, like they have a bunch of guys that can stretch you out and that can stretch the field vertically and horizontally at the same time. And then Luke Grimm has been you know, a very good possession receiver for them. The problem is they only usually have two of those guys active on any particular game because of either COVID or some other reason that they're not dressing. And so like, I think that's what the key is going to be here is, is how many of those guys are they going to have available so that they can do that sort of thing. Um, You know, I mean, I I was wondering if that's where you are getting, because that was the one thing that I had noticed was the fact that the linebackers tend to play a little bit soft in coverage at times, especially if it's an obvious passing down. In, in a situation where they need to get a bunch. And so if you can get a guy, you know, to get it right there and then make a guy miss, then you can get a huge gain. And that's really the way to attack this Texas defense from what I was seeing. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad yeah. that you confirmed that for me. The question, I guess, becomes, you know, how, how much, especially coming off the bye, you know, is there, any, is there any worry coming off of a bye that maybe they wouldn't have focused as much on KU as they might necessarily need to, that this key, that that's you know this is this is KU's chance because this is what you know Brent Deerman took over after the buy last year and almost upset Texas down in Austin, yep. And so this is kind of the game that I think they've been circling just as much as I've been circling as <laughs> where they can get a big statement win for for a guy like Brent Deerman. So how how concerned are you that maybe they didn't necessarily? You know that that they might be looking ahead to that Iowa State game or the Kansas State game because those are games that should be tough games for them that could very well push them into that Big Twelve title game. Yeah, I, or am I just completely full of it?
1: <laughs> I would be su- I would be surprised if they looked past Kansas. You know, human nature being human nature, like it's impossible to really predict what a what a nineteen twenty year old human being is going to do because they're the least predictable people uh, on the face of the planet. Which is fun that we do this for a living, right? but um, I think it, I'd be shocked if, if they looked past Kansas simply because like they know that if they win these three games, they should own all of the tiebreakers, because I think Iowa State's the one, and they would have the head to head, right? so like um, so they know like they've got if if their, goal, if their stated goal is to win a championship, right they've said that before, then they've got three games to get in, they've got three games to, to meet. And achieve their goals, and so if they if they look past anybody at this point, I would be shocked.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily expect them to just completely look past Kansas, but you know, if you've got a bye week to really kind of focus on teams that are coming up, Iowa State like jumps out to me as the one that you want to make sure you have got that you know ready to go because they they have to win all three of these games to have an opportunity to make it to the Big Twelve title game, and so. With how bad Kansas has been at times, it it's easy to see them maybe potentially cheating and starting to like looking at things for Iowa State, you know, instead of focusing solely on this KU team. So I mean I I, I guess that's that's my one big hope is that maybe they don't take it quite so seriously. But I'm I'm also kind of curious because like I said, like it doesn't it doesn't really seem to me like the defense is that much different. And while Kansas's offensive line is atrocious this year, um, they seem to be slowly getting better, slowly getting guys. To really kind of work, and from everything that I, you know, that I heard in the bye week, the offensive line did a whole lot of stuff that they would normally be doing during spring practice to try to, you know, kind of really kind of build that that camaraderie to really kind of build that fit and see what they can do there. So I, I don't, again, I, I, if I'm looking at this objectively, it's hard for me to say that they're going to make a big enough jump to really be in this game. But I'm also kind of wondering, like, how much all this extra stuff is going to really jump up and and cause problems and make this. If not, you know, if not a Kansas win, like I'm desperately hoping for, but at least make this a whole lot closer, make everybody wonder what the heck is going on with Texas again.
1: Yeah, and you know, there there are similarities with with this game. I'm I my mate jokingly talked about like the election year, but there's there's weird there's drama around the coach. Like is, you know, what's what's the coach's future? And and that was very much the situation when when uh Texas lost to Kansas in 2016. And so that's that's a similarity that you can't ignore. Um, you know, players trying to play and press too hard for a coach that they uh they seem to like and respect. Um but really I think the thing that makes me feel like they that they wouldn't shortchange the the prep for for Iowa for Kansas to look forward to Iowa State is because I feel like the Oklahoma State defensive game was kind of a dress rehearsal for Brees Hall. Like I think what the scheme that they tried to to run against Oklahoma State and the scheme they tried to run against West Virginia because those are two both to run first teams like Iowa state is going to try to be offensively. Iowa state is going to try to feed breeze hall. I, and, and so that's, you know, what, what West Virginia tries to do. That's what Oklahoma state tries to do to get their offensive offense going. So I feel like that game plan is kind of already written in pencil a little bit. So you already have your dress rehearsal for it. And so I really think that, um, you know, and I think just like I, like Kansas, I think they're, they probably spent part of the off week. Doing some of that, doing some extra install, doing some extra, that type of work to get things kind of cinched up and tied up. Um,
0: yeah, forward. no, I, I, I definitely understand that. I guess I'm just desperately hoping for, for you know, anything that might <laughs> allow them to kind of look past. All right. So um, I do want to get just, I have a, a couple more questions for you, but I do need to throw it to one Absolutely. more quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. And we're back. All right. One, one more question. I, I kind of wanted to, uh, you know, actually news dropped just a little bit earlier this afternoon that Kansas is not going to allow fans for the rest of the year. Um, mainly because of, you know, COVID related stuff, which I think we all kind of expected. I guess my main question for you surrounding that is, do you really think it matters whether there's fans in the stands at all? <laughs> I mean, like I realized, I realized realize that, you know, it's the running joke that, you know, it doesn't really matter because they don't actually have any fans anyway in the stands <laughs> normally, but Um, you know I get the feeling that you know this is the kind of game where if things like like similar to what happened with with Iowa State like I was there um, I actually was in the stands for that particular game and when things weren't going well for Iowa State you know the the crowd was getting into it and you could actually tell like there was some nervousness on the part of the Iowa State you know players who were expected to win this game by quite a bit before they were able to finally take that big push at the end so like I mean any any concerns that or I, was, I, sh- I should say any any relief now that there's no chance that, you know, a, a Kansas crowd could somehow breathe some some energy into this Kansas team? Or or do you think that that's not even something that's going to, you know, enter into the equation at all?
1: So this will be the first time this year that Texas hasn't played with any sort of crowd, which is is a weird thing. Right. Like it, this is the weirdest year that has ever existed. Um but like I, this, is, this is like I said, this will be the first time that they haven't played uh, in front of a crowd, and they they've only really had like two road games this year, so it was a little bit of a concern. They went to they went to Lubbock and they they um went to Stillwater and and won both of those games, but they haven't really had they haven't had a, a true road game this year, or they they haven't had they've only had those two road games. Of the seven games they've played, they've had two road games, and so I was a little concerned, like. What And I even think back to even like the national championship year and like the, you know, the 2009 game where like l- the luckiest hand warmer of all times forces a fumble to keep the things going. Like, I-, I always have this weird anxiety when Texas goes into play Kansas because, you know, like, and this is not to be reductive, but like a win over Texas especially a spoiler win over Texas can really validate an entire season for for Kansas who's
0: been struggling this year. Oh, most definitely. I know, I mean like, you know, this this would be a point of pride for Kansas fans if they can get two Texas coaches fired by beating them in those particular years. So like, yeah, yeah, that that would be that would be the icing on the cake of an absolutely horrible season. I mean, not only that but you know if the only win Kansas gets this year is against a Texas team that at the time was still competing for the Big 12 title like that would be absolutely phenomenal that would make this entire year a complete success no matter what measurement you're looking at it so yeah no i definitely understand like this is this is the this is the Kansas Super Bowl for this year it's going to mean that much for them um even i think more so than a more winnable game against TCU next week in in you know on on senior day um but, you know, it, I mean, it, it does like you talk about all the weirdness that happens when Kansas plays Texas. You know, I mean, there's the dollar signs game, you know, with with Mark Mangino yep. there. Um, you know, there's been several games where it's been a whole lot closer, especially in Lawrence, than it really has any business being. And so I do think that there's at least the possibility for some some weirdness coming up in this particular game. So. All right. So so just two more questions for you. The first one being, if Kansas were to somehow pull off the miraculous upset, what would have to happen in this game for us to actually see that? I think
1: Sam Ellinger continues to miss throws that he, he made a year ago. There's been this weird regression, and Tom Herman refuses to admit that Sam Ellinger is hurt. Uh, he actually banged on the table in, in Monday's press conference. Sam's healthy. He's not limited. Sam's healthy. He's not limited. Then how on God's green earth does he miss the passes that he's missing? If he has, He's lying. Like that's the only way is if he's lying to you and lying to the trainers that that man is not hurt. um,
0: Either that or you know it's it's Sam Ellinger's doppelganger that's in there instead of Sam Ellinger. Like
1: so maybe his walk-on linebacker brother has been playing quarterback all year. Yeah, there we go. Because it's a free year of eligibility, so he can come back and play again. So he's letting Jake play. That's the new conspiracy theory. He's letting Jake play quarterback because he gets a free year of eligibility. Um, so that would be if if Ellinger if Ellinger continues to because you know he has that game where he just gets in his own head and he plays like absolute crap he'll throw three picks he'll you know he'll try to force things that aren't there and and it's bit texas in the key that that's part of what happened against tcu it's part of what happened against ou um and so i think that's something to look at and then i think if again if kansas is able to 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 really generate underneath passing and make make a guy miss, because Texas has cleaned up some of the tackling issues they had early on, but they're still there. So you you can break you know break a tackle, break two tackles, um, and, and generate some some extra yardage on plays. I think those two things could really uh, impact Texas negatively.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking that the only way that this happens is that Texas has to get off to a slow start offensively. The, the Kansas defense has to come up with some big plays, and that defense has been getting a lot better, especially in the secondary. You know, they have some they have some really good guys in that secondary that very well you know you could see them on Big Twelve, like all Big Twelve teams in the next couple years. You know, I would be I would be shocked if if Karan Prunty is not on the you know Big Twelve, like one of the Big Twelve teams this year because he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and so, like, this is one of those things where. You know, if, if Ellinger does miss some throws, they have some guys in the back there, Kenny Logan Jr., you know, who could pick them off and and make it very difficult for Texas early in the game. But it's really going to take Jalen Daniels getting settled in, finding a way to deal with the offensive line issues that they have and still make good throws without making poor decisions. That's the part that concerns me the most. I'm actually not as concerned about the defense because Kansas' defense has been very, very tough for most of the games this year and they just give out usually in the third quarter when the offense hasn't really done anything for them. And so they've been on the field for, you know, 40 minutes out of the, out of the 60 total. Um, And so like, I I mean, I think there's, that's kind of the way you have to do it is you have to get either defensive scores early or the offense has to move the ball and give the defense a chance to make some big plays for them. So, um, you know, okay. Final, final question um the actual prediction for the game how how do you think this game is actually going to go you know i think everybody expects texas to win so how big are they going to win um and and you know how well does texas set themselves up for these next two games
1: so my my like my get down on my knees and pray is that this is like kind of that like like kind of crack your neck game or like stretch it out game where um you know Texas can cuz Texas needs to exercise some demons on offense i'm going to be honest with you and so i hope to see that that Texas can can get off to a quick start i think my prediction is 35 14ish is is what i want to say it's so my hope i think that's that's a successful saturday i think for texas my my gut says it's good like my gut says it's gonna be stupid and texas is gonna have to rely on some late game heroics to win this game just because that's been that's been my luck that's been my life i i moved to oklahoma the year colt mccoy broke like got hurt in the national championship game and it's been downhill
0: ever since and so that's just that's just my assumption is is that things are gonna go poorly yeah you know I mean, I, I, I think I would absolutely enjoy it if this was a game like last year's game or, you know, even if Texas wins, it's like 50 to 48 or something like that. That means that either that Texas defense is just as bad as we always thought it was and it continues to be or that Kansas offense is actually started to figure some things out. So, you know, I, I think that, that that 35 to 14, if you're trying to look at this as, as objectively as possible, it's probably a little bit on the low end. Um, you know, I don't know that I'd be too concerned about Texas actually being able to score in this game. The question is going to be whether it's early or it's going to be a bunch of them late. Um, and so like, if I'm giving a, a realistic prediction, I would probably say it's probably going to be Texas, something like 45 to Kansas is, you know, 10 or something like that. But I'm going to stick with what I've done all year long. And I do think that there's at least an opportunity for Kansas to go ahead and pull the upset. So I'll make my, my quote unquote, official prediction um, to be that Kansas somehow magically pulls the upset 28 to 27. Okay. All right.
1: So is there, I'm going to look there,
0: absolutely ridiculous after all this is over. But like I said, there, if it doesn't happen, I'm just going to pretend like I haven't said anything like this for the last nine <laughs> months. So I, I don't like knowing Philip. Philip's not going to let you get away with that. Like, oh, I, he, he will try not to let me get away with it. But if I don't engage, <laughs> then I mean, I guess it's I fair. just have more free time on Sundays. That's fair. Totally fair. <laughs> all right. Well, Gerald, it, it, it was great to have you on today. Where can people find your work online? Uh, you can follow me,
1: my personal account on Twitter, at G.H. Gitteridge. You can follow uh, us at on our podcast. It's just at
0: LonghornPod. And then you can always find my stuff on Burnt Orange Nation. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. Gerald, thank you for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for rock chalk podcast and you can subscribe to us there. So you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments. Absolutely. Would love that. But if not, let us know what it is. We can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information that you need in as entertaining a way as possible. And let me tell you going out on a limb, like I have, I think it's been entertaining for people and they're going to really enjoy it when I have to eat my words here in the next few weeks. So, um, but <laughs> if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview anything like that, you can contact me, uh, by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter. The best way to do that right now is my personal Twitter at Andy 12. Um, now that we're on anchor, you actually can leave us a voicemail and I fully expect to get a whole bunch of them after this game, regardless of the outcome. Um, But you can do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. And you can leave us a voicemail there so I can bring your voice onto the show. Whether it's to ask me a question or to call me stupid for picking Kansas over Texas or whatever else you want to do, we want to hear it. So, um, But again, that'll do it for us tonight. Gerald, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.